morning, everyone. Just want to do a quick sound check. Can you hear me back there? All right. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. I um, apologize. I was at a camp a couple weeks ago and caught a virus at the end of that camp, and I got over it mid-last week, but I have a few remnants that left me, uh, my voice, just a little weak. So another opportunity to trust in the Lord. So, uh, boy, this has been a delight for us to be here. Um, and uh, it's, we got a long ways to go. And uh, we just pray the Lord keeps showering us with great blessing. So uh, you can be making your way to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to be looking at uh, what the flesh does, how it behaves. I just want to do a quick little review from yesterday. Um, we saw yesterday that we, because of our first parent's sin, we inherited a nature uh, that's corrupt and in and of itself cannot please God. Even when it tries to do good things, uh, its motives, its thinking still pollutes it, defiles it. Uh, we also saw that the law is good. It shows us our sin, shows us that we are corrupt. It leads us to a Savior. Uh, we saw that um, it, when a believer is in the flesh... We can't please the Lord. And that's where we're going to be going uh, this morning. We're going to be learning more and more about what the flesh looks like. And then um, I had a couple questions yesterday. One was about the old man. The old man is positionally who we were in Adam before Christ. And he got nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. But we still have a nature that we inherited from Adam that wants its own way. It's selfish and opposes the things of God. And the Spirit of God and the flesh continue like this. And then I had you look at Romans 7 and put ones and twos. I should explain that a little bit better. The one was the, uh, the sin of the, the flesh, the law within our members that opposes God, that inherited nature. And that's contrast to what Paul says. He understood the word of God in his mind. And he said, I have this tearing between. I can't, I can't do this. Uh, I know what I, I should do, but yet I have this law that's pulling me away. And so you have that battle in the flesh. The flesh will never produce the things that please the Lord. So in 1 Samuel chapter 15, I want to introduce you. It's a longer chapter, so we're going to have to move to one of the three primary uh, personal types of the flesh in the Old Testament. We're going to look at King Saul. Saul was a carnal king. Uh, we learn from the book of Hosea that God gave Israel, Saul, in his anger. Whenever God gives you something in his anger, it's not going to be good. <laughs> now, the end is good, but the, the road there was pretty bad. And so Israel had to endure 40 years of carnality under Saul, but that made them yearn for David, right? The man after God's own heart, a true shepherd. And um, likewise... Uh, when we have been filled up with the carnality of the flesh and so forth, it just makes the Lord Jesus look all that much more lovely. So um, in chapter 15, this is really, just to get the setting here, this is the pinnacle of Saul's kingdom. He's, he's taken out the Amalekites, not the Amalekites, the Ammonites to the east. Uh, he's taken out the Philistines to the west. He's now developed a great army. Um, and this is really the high point. He's probably been king around 22 to 24 years. Now, in chapter 13, he intruded on the priesthood, 
And because he didn't wait for Samuel at Gilgal to do the sacrifice, God said, you're not going to have a lasting dynasty. In this chapter, we're going to see because of his offense, he's going to lose the kingdom. And it's this downhill from Saul from there. And that's where the flesh leads us. It's always downhill. So um, if you're taking notes, nine points. I know whenever a preacher says nine points, you think, oh, this is a two-hour message. But this is going to flow pretty fast, okay? So in 1 Samuel 15, Saul also said to, uh, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the Lord, the words of the Lord, and say, thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, infant, Nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkeys. We'll pause our reading there. The Amalekites, as I explained yesterday, uh, Esau was uh, a profane man, a son of Jacob, a twin, uh, sorry, son of Isaac, twin of uh, Jacob, and he's the one who sold his birthright for a bowl of bean soup. He lived for the here and now. He had no vision for, for what was eternal. He just wanted to satisfy himself. And his grandson was Amalek, and Amalek fathered the Amalekites, and all through scripture they're used to picture the flesh. Now, I find this very interesting. When uh, I'll talk about this more in a couple days, uh, what happened, but when, when Israel was delivered from Egypt and they were coming down to Sinai to have an experience with God, the Amalekites were coming up north, the Sinai Peninsula, back into the highlands, and all of a sudden they ran into these two million intruders into their land. And they didn't do a frontal assault. They snuck around, and they got the weary and the stragglers. And it, it made God angry. Now, I'll talk more about that in a couple days. The point here is, 400 years later, God hasn't forgotten it. Right? Now, I just want to encourage you, If you're living for the Lord, you're going to suffer injustice. You're going to be falsely accused. And the Lord never forgets those things. There is not one detail that's going to go unjudged or not be taken care of. 400 years later, God still is looking for an opportunity to to bring justice to the Amalekites. And for the first time in 400 years since the day Joshua took Israel into Cana, they finally have an army. They can do it. Now, so the first, the command is, um, Saul, go down and destroy the Amalekites. Now, is there any vagueness about verse 3? No, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Destroy everything. Now, when we hear God say, destroy moms and babies and children, and even the animals, what did they do wrong? Now, be honest, does it kind of rub you wrong? Yeah, Yeah, it does, right? That's our nature. Um, But when we're going through the study of the flesh, you have to look at the big picture of what God is teaching us through this. If the Amalekites picture the flesh, how much provision is the flesh to have in the believer's life? Zero, right? 
Uh, Romans 13, 14, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its loss. So the first point is this, it's an application from this verse, that in the believer's life, there's to be no provision for the flesh. And here's the point. The flesh always wants more. The flesh is never satisfied. If you give in to the flesh on Monday, it's going to come back on Tuesday and just want more. Solomon said the eye is not satisfied with seeing, the ear is not full of hearing. So the first point, and the reason that the Amalekites were being obliterated, is there to be no provision for the flesh in the believer's life. So Saul gets his army together, he goes down, uh, he finds out the Canaanites are there, and he says, listen, we're going to attack the Amalekites, you were kind to us when Moses, our people, when Moses brought them into the promised land, or brought them up the uh, eastern plateau so Joshua could lead them in the promised land. Therefore, we're going to spare you. And the, the Canaanites were very happy to leave. Saul comes in, and he attacks the Amalekites. He slaughters them. But then we read that in verse 8, he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good, they were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything pleasing and worthless, sorry, everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Did Saul obey the word of God? No. Right? Why he would keep anybody alive with the name of Agag, I don't know. Right? <laughs> Agag. And, and Saul kept him alive. And they kept the best of the sheep. Second point, the flesh will always justify incomplete obedience. Maybe God doesn't know about these good sacrifices, right? Maybe, maybe God doesn't have all the information. Maybe God doesn't know best in this. And the people said, this is good stock. This would be great sacrifices to the Lord. So they killed the people, but they left the king alive, and they took the, the livestock. The flesh will justify incomplete, um, incomplete obedience. The flesh sees value in things that God doesn't. I think a great prayer is to pray, Lord, help me to hate what you hate, and help me to love what you love. When we put a value on things God doesn't, that's not led by the Spirit of God. That's the flesh, and it's going to lead us down a path into more trouble. The word came to, of the Lord to Samuel, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has returned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. What a great example this Samuel is. He has served the Lord's people. He's in his mid-70s at this point. He has served the Lord's people since the time he was probably three or four years of age and was taken to uh, Eli, the priest, by Hannah. And he served the Lord selflessly his entire life. Uh, he served the people selflessly his entire life. And, um, but yet Saul was God's appointed leader. Saul was to represent God in the nation of Israel. He was a poor example, poor representative, but he had the authority, the position of authority. And it grieved God's, uh, Samuel's heart, and it says he, he cried out to the Lord all night. Have you ever wrestled with the Lord in prayer all night? It's an exhausting uh, experience. But here Samuel, 
Others were sleeping, and he was before the Lord, pleading, making intercession uh, for Saul. Well, God's determination against Saul was not going to be changed, but Samuel prayed for him nonetheless. We don't know the full mind of God, but God always loves an intercessor. Now, verse 12, it says, So when Samuel rose up early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he was gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, I'm going to pull down my invisible map here, okay? Right? I see <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Frank. All right, so here's Egypt, here's Sinai, and, and here's Israel. And so Saul comes down through Israel, he fights the Malachites, and then he's making his way back up. Gilgal is over here by the Jordan River. It's probably a good 80 mile track. He stops at this place of Carmel. Now, this is not Mount Carmel. That's near the sea in northern mid-Israel. Uh, but he stops at this village, this town called Carmel, and he, and he puts a monument up to testify of himself um, before the Lord, testify of his accomplishments. And this is the... Um, we see another aspect of the flesh here. The flesh boasts itself against the truth. Now... I don't think Saul was expecting Samuel to arrive at Gilgal. And he sees the prophet, the premier prophet of Israel, arrive. arrive and, and so he goes out to meet him. He says, oh, blessed are you, uh, Samuel. And he says, and I have done what the Lord commanded me to do. Was that true? No. So the third point is the flesh boasts itself against the truth. The flesh wants to put a spin on stuff to make itself look good. It, it flavors the truth. It, it distorts the truth in a way that's not blatantly obvious, but yet it's not the complete truth. The flesh wants to look good. And so Saul does his very best to make himself look good uh, in the presence of Samuel, but Samuel's not having any of it. Just about that time, there's a... Meh, right? That's going to ter sound terrible on the tape. Anyway, but Samuel said, "What the <laughs> shoot that thing, right? Whatever it is. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of oxen which I hear? Now let, let me just pause to say something. If you're in shepherding work, if you're in counseling work, believe what you see. Right? Go with the evidence of what you see. Um, people can come across with these emotional pills. They can cry. They can wail. That's all the flesh. The flesh boasts itself against the truth. It's going to use whatever tactic it can to make itself look good and get its own way. So if you're shepherding, you're counseling, look at the facts. Hold on to them. Don't be swayed by emotional appeal. That's what Saul's doing here. Now listen to this, verse 15. Saul said, mark this, they, that's the people, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest, listen, we have utterly destroyed. 
Fourth point, the flesh blame shifts. The flesh blame shifts. Saul's saying, listen, it was the people. They're the ones who rebelled. Well, who's king? Saul. He's the one that God's going to hold accountable. He's responsible for leading the people uh, in the ways of righteousness. And he's not. He's a carnal man. He pictures the flesh. And so uh, he says, the people spared the best. They have brought them. We, including himself, destroyed the rest of it. In other words, I was part of the obedience part. The people were part of the disobedience part. Oh, that's a mark of a terrible leader when you can't take responsibility for your own failures. And so the flesh blame shifts. Now, Samuel goes on to tell Saul, I have to summarize here for the sake of time, that the fact that God's going to take the kingdom from him, that he's disobeyed the Lord, God's going to take the kingdom from him. He says in verse 19, Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you not swoop down, why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? This is another observation from the passage. If your flesh leads you into disobedience, don't be surprised if God uses the very thing that you're disobedient on to chasten you and to teach you about righteousness. Right? So, because Saul did not obliterate the Amalekites, who was it in the start of 2 Samuel who claimed to kill Saul? It was Amalekite. Now, we know that Saul um, fell on the sword, his, his sword, and died, but apparently this Amalekite would come into the, um, the battlefield looking for souvenirs, and as he found the king, he took the crown, and he's going to bring it to David. And remember what David did after uh, the crown was brought by this Amalekite? David had him slain. You laid your hand on God's anointed. David wouldn't do that. God put him in authority. God will take him out of authority. Who am I to intrude on God's authority in this matter? Later, now I'm talking four centuries later, in the book of Esther, Haman has this plan to go to the king to obliterate the Jews through the entire Persian Empire. And he was an Agathite. He was a descendant of Agag. So if Saul would have killed all the Amalekites, there wouldn't have been a Haman four centuries later to try to bring destruction on God's covenant people. I'm glad that wasn't me. Okay, so um, don't be surprised that the areas of disobedience, God will take those. God has a great sense of humor. And sometimes he'll use our disobedience to chasten us and bring, him, bring us back to himself. All right, so Saul says to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Malachites. But the people took the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Fifth point, the flesh justifies or defends itself when confronted. The flesh is never satisfied. It always wants more. The flesh will justify incomplete obedience. The flesh boasts itself against the truth. The flesh blame shifts. And the flesh will uh, justify itself when confronted. Last year, I, I 
took a young man aside and he needed a little bit of exhortation. By the way, don't be afraid of that word of exhortation. Hebrews tells us that we need to exhort one another daily, right? And the word just means to, to come alongside, so you're affirming love, and to redirect. So you have a younger believer and they're headed this way. You, as an older believer, you say, oh, if they keep going that way, they're going to get into trouble. So you come alongside and say, hey, I love you. You know, if you keep going that way, you're going to get in trouble. If you go that, see you later. That's all exhortation is. And so we need it daily. Uh, this young man, I exhorted him on a particular thing, and I was really surprised. He attacked me, and he defended himself. And I looked at him, and as calmly as I said, what kind of man blames another man for his own deficiencies? That got him. He said, a proud man. I said, yeah, it's the flesh. So if someone comes to you and loves you enough to give you a word of exhortation, listen to it. And as Ironside said, if you can glean from it and benefit from it, take that part, throw the rest of the way. I think a lot of times we tend to concentrate on the part that may not be quite right. But praise God, somebody loves us enough to tell us what we need. If you're married, you know that, right? <laughs> praise the Lord for a godly spouse that will tell us uh, what we need to hear. Now, this is what Samuel says, verse 22. Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams and rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Obedience is better than a burnt offering. This is one of seven things in scripture that are better than a burnt offering. Obedience. As I said yesterday, the Christian experience is one of knowing the will of God and just yielding and surrendering to it. And then God brings you into a deeper manifestation of himself, shows you more of himself, and then when you yield to that, he continually draws you in deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's what he wants. Obedience is better than sacrifice. John 14, 15, the Lord Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. Practical obedience is one of the best ways to show the Lord Jesus you're in love with him. It's one of the best ways to say, Lord, I love you. You've done all this for me. I just want to show you that I love you by obeying. Now, in verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. Now, if he'd started the conversation that way, things might have went a little bit different. But in the course of flesh, he was going to end up the same um, place in the end. And so he says, I have sinned. But is this truly a confession? He says, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I love this little, little portable pulpit here. All right? So the sixth point is this. The flesh fears man more than it fears God. The flesh fears man more than it fears God. Saul says, I did it because I feared the people. 
he was God's leader, but he, he cowered in front of the people. He was more afraid of them than the Lord if he disobeyed. Boy, that's a mark of the flesh. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin. Return with me that I may worship the Lord. Is Saul serious about his sin? No, he's still worried about what the people will think of him. He wants Samuel to come along with him. Pardon me, uh, just sweep this out of the way and, and, and come along with me so the people can see you as, as, uh, as we sacrifice and worship the Lord. Samuel says, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And Samuel turned from to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. That's speaking of David. And also the strength of Israel, that's a name for God, will not lie nor relent. And he is not a man that he should relent. Then Saul says again, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Is this true repentance? No. This is fleshly repentance. It, it wants to get its own way. It wants to look good in front of others, but it's not sincere about the things of God. And so he says, I have sinned, yet honor me now, Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Notice it doesn't say Samuel and Saul worshiped the Lord. Samuel couldn't worship with Saul. He was a carnal king that disobeyed the Lord. But because he was king, he honored that request, and he turns back with Saul to be, appear well before the people. So Point number uh, six was the flesh fears man more than God. Point number seven is the flesh values the honor of the people more than honor of God. It's the other side of it. The flesh is fearful of what man thinks, and then the flesh desires the honor of men more than honor of God. This is a good question to ask yourself when you're serving the Lord. Am I doing this to be seen? Uh, Nate made this... Uh, point last night. Am I complaining? Am I murmuring? If you are, it's not truly service to the Lord. It's a good test of where our hearts are at. Am I doing this for the praise of men or to be seen? That's not of the Lord, right? The Lord Jesus was lowly and meek. He didn't really seek the crowds. The crowds sought him. So as we move along now, it says, Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Malachites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. I mean, why haul him all that distance up to Gilgal if they were just going to kill him? They could have killed him way down south, right? And so he's thinking, well, they, they're not going to kill me now. But he's just a little suspicious, I think, of this elderly prophet, Samuel. Then Samuel says, bring Agag, king of the Malachites, to me. So Agag came. Again, surely the bitterness of death is past. Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord at Gilgal.
Had Agag, the king of the Malachites, changed any in 400 years from the, the mannerism and the character of the Malachites? No. He says, you still kill mothers with children and make a mother's childless, you're a murderer, and so forth. In other words, when the Amalekites attacked uh, the nation of Israel when they were coming uh, to Mount Sinai, 400 years later, the character of the Amalekites hadn't changed a bit. They were still doing the same thing. And this is the, the eighth point. The flesh cannot reform itself. The flesh cannot transform itself. It's vile, it's wicked, it opposes the things of God. It can put on a uh, veneer, but deep down it still opposes the things of God. It can't reform itself. I love this. Samuel, he's in his 70s. Now, it would have been one thing if Samuel just comes up and stabs him, right? That's not what he does. This man in his 70s, this spiritual man, the man full of the Spirit of God, he takes the sword and he hacks Agag, Agag into pieces. Well, that takes a lot of vitality. But the spiritual man walking with the Lord doesn't have decreased vitality. And so although he's in his 70s, because he's walking with the Lord, he's able to mortify Agag. And the last point is this. The flesh only knows two things. Mortification, gratification. That's it. It always wants more. It wants to gratify itself. The only way to deal with it is mortification. Now, when you start pulling the whole thing together here, it starts making sense. The Malachites as a people res, uh, reflected the flesh. That's why they were to be obliterated. Saul is a picture of the flesh. Agag is a picture of the flesh. That explains why Saul could not kill Agag. The flesh can never mortify the flesh. Isn't that great? Who is it? It's Samuel, the spiritual man, that comes in. With the word of God, the sword, and, and empowered by the Spirit of God, he lays the blow against the flesh. And this is the pattern, the picture I'm going to develop throughout the week. It's, we see it through the entire Old Testament. All that matters is the Word of God and the Spirit of God in dealing with the flesh. And so we're going to see this sword appear. We're going to see this spiritual man. It might be Joshua. It might be Samuel. Ultimately, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But the flesh can never reform, transform the flesh. It has to be a spiritual thing. I just want to close with, with this thought. And it, it goes along beautifully with what we studied last evening and also this morning in our morning devotions. Why go over these works of the flesh? Well, it's important to understand that if we're in the flesh, we can't please the Lord, right? So as soon as these things come up, we're blame-shifting uh, we're, we're distorting the truth. All these, these nine things that we looked at, as soon as you sense that, you know, I'm in the flesh. I can't please the Lord if I'm doing this, right? Now, in the spiritual walk, you will never enjoy the peace, the power, the serenity of Christ by saying, I'm not going to do those things. The flesh can't do it. But, as you draw near to Christ, 
and experience him and be yoked with him and experience his power, his peace, his serenity, those things become diminished. They just kind of fade away. In other words, I, I, I don't even want those things anymore. It just kind of fades away because I got the real thing that brings peace and tranquility to my soul. Father, we just ask that you would help us in these things. We have a nature within us that hates you, hates the things that you love. Uh, It opposes you in every way. We pray, Father, that we would be, as your people, more cognizant of those things that disappoint you. We know we can't please you if we're in the flesh. So I pray, Father, that as soon as we sense the flesh, that we might take action. And knowing that it is the spiritual man, it's, it's your word and your spirit that only has, can lay the, the mortal blow against the flesh. So Father, I pray that we might be these consecrated vessels seeking you, seeking your holy presence, that we might be a holy people unto you. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.